Hello and welcome to the Investors Chronicle Companies and Markets Show. I am John Human, editor of the Investors Chronicle. And at the end of a busy week, I am joined by Ian Smith, company's editor. How are you doing, Ian? Not too bad, yeah. It's been busy, as you say. Not as busy as last week, but but busy nevertheless. Yeah, the wave is starting to roll back. Yeah, it's nice, isn't it, when that, <laughs> that happens? The end end is in sight. To quote Tony Hayward, I'd like my life back. Yeah, yeah, that is how the summer feels at the Investors Chronicle. But, you know, that's that's the price we pay for your benefit. Alex Newman, how are you, Alex? I'm good, thanks, John. And you've written the cover feature this week? I have, yeah. Subject dear to my heart. It's all in the family. All in the family. Family businesses, uh, of which there are a surprising number listed yeah. on the London Stock Exchange. There are. There are. And they do quite well, which yes. is why we've run this feature, which we ran once before. When you were which, covering the family beat. When I was, indeed. And now now I am the patriarch, as you, <laughs> as you said, nicely put. <laughs> okay, yeah. And uh, over in the control room, Graham Davis. Graham, we haven't had you for a while, have we? I'm back. You're back. Yeah. And happy to be back, John. It's yeah. been a fun week this week. Yeah, so Bradley's away and uh, you've been picking up the uh, the news, as yeah. you used to do. Yeah, back in the saddle. Back in the saddle. It's like you never forget to <laughs> yeah, ride exactly. a bike. <laughs> right, so lots of results to talk about, which we'll be doing shortly. Uh, and as I said, we're going to talk about the family business feature that Alex has written. Uh, but Graham, let's start with uh, with the news, mm. uh, or generally. What's uh, caught your eye this week? There's been a lot of talks post last week's interest rate cut. Bank of England sort of throwing a bit more, throwing a bit more uh, weight at the economic issues that we are facing. But there's been questions this week as to whether that is actually working. Mm. Um, you know, they've struggled to actually buy enough bonds in their latest round of, of bond buying in the market. The people just aren't selling them. Well, this is because the pension funds don't want to get rid of them yeah. because presumably they have they have they have liabilities liabilities to, to satisfy. Yeah. I mean, Ian, this is a subject you've obviously spent many many years looking at in your previous role. Yeah, yeah. Um, pension funds need um, gilts um, in particular to back back their liabilities. Uh, they can use other matching assets, but they aren't a perfect match for the liabilities in terms of um, you know, how the asset prices and uh, liability movements correlate. So, yeah, I'm not surprised the pension funds don't want to move out of them. Interestingly, in the results section, we've seen in insurance companies that where their investment income has been really suppressed as a result mm. of um, you know the market, the extraordinary. Uh, kind of monetary policy we've we've had and the impact on the markets. Insurance companies have started to move into um, kind of growth assets in parts to the try and assets yeah riskier then. assets. So so one of the questions from I ask is are we going to have this from this kind of government debt well from this monetary policy to pr- prop up the economic cycle is that going to lead to a funding crisis further down the line? Probably crisis too much of a, a strong word, but is it going to lead to funding problems for? Insurance companies, if they're not investing in the right kind of liquidity of assets, uh, and also pension funds as well. So it's a big, you know, I think there's this um, this idea that QE can kind of solve a lot of um, ills, but it can also create problems if it's forcing investors to hold assets that they don't want to have. So I'm not actually surprised that some pension funds are um, not are declining, kind of, you know, selling their holdings. Well, they have to hold them, don't they? I mean, guilts are... Are mandated as as the holdings of a lot of pension funds. Yeah, so they have to hold a certain amount to back their liabilities, but then they can also hold growth assets, and they can also hold um, other fixed income alternatives. Um, obviously, they they invest in property, they increasingly invest in infrastructure. So, in terms of the balance between, the, they have to be prudent um, legally. They have a responsibility to be prudent, but they can you know move around in terms of which fixed income or fixed income alternatives they hold. Mm. And then it's, it's a similar way with insurance companies. Yeah, they have to hold a certain amount of uh, fixed income assets, but there is also wiggle room there. I mean, you could probably 
you know, you can see from the recent sort of uh, ups and downs of the property market that perhaps, you know, it is a somewhat risky for a, for a pension fund, given that, you know, something like Brexit can come along and knock, knock the sector for six in, in a short space of time. Exactly. And that's the big worry of trying to push institutional investors into assets that act like fixed income, but don't have the same kind of security is that, yeah, exactly something like how that happens, the liquidity doesn't quite match up with what they need. And then suddenly they're in a position where they can't match their liabilities, or ultimately, they struggle to pay their um, pensions that they've promised. So yeah. it, it, there's, there's a real world element to this. It's not just about yields on the on the chart. No, I mean, for, and from an investor's perspective, I mean, you know, uh, the interest rate cut means essentially lower rates on savings. It means uh, that uh, annuity rates are falling still, appalling. Um, so, so investors themselves, private investors, are looking at riskier asset classes as well, which is why, I mean, you know, sort of jumping ahead to the results section, I noticed companies like AstraZeneca, Diageo, British American Tobacco, their share prices are going through the roof. Yeah, exactly right. So for for personal uh, for savers, it's bad because you know the Bank of England try and get people spending. Um, interestingly, Chris Dillow's written about it this week too, and he says that you know it's marginal gains in terms of the amount of that interest rate cut um, that will pass on in terms of a growth in economic output, and um, it's not going to have the same impact as the you know the first round of QE um, and the the monetary easing kind of straight after the financial crisis. So mm. it's kind of an element of which to which they're trying to get the economy going, uh, but you know what are the, what are the downsides to that? But yeah, I'm not surprised that um, equity investors are looking at um, yields. And and they're looking at kind of, um, you know, bond proxies and all these other kind of things to support their income. It's a little bit terrifying because you can see this pushing up asset prices, you know, of property or, or, or bond-like equities like the ones that I've just mentioned. So, you know, you do worry whether this is creating some kind of kind of bubble here across yeah. the board. I saw this thing, and um, obviously we've talked before about the impact on banks, um, and some ECB economists said, well, yes, you do have the net interest margin squeeze that we've talked about before, but that is more than compensated for by the rise in asset prices that, uh, of, of banks um, of banks' assets, but also the drop um, in um, Im- impairments from lower interest rates because people, fewer people default on their loans. So they say it's more than um, makes up for the squeeze on the net interest margin in terms of how low interest rates um, hit banks' profitability. But the question you can ask back to that is, well, is that just um, artificially lengthening the cycle? You know, it's just well, it's keeping the credit party going, isn't it? You know, so it's, well, it's okay because the asset prices are up, and and uh, you know we've managed to artificially um, make it easier for people to borrow, so it doesn't matter that your profitability squeezed. So it's, well, what happens when the credit cycle inevitably does turn? Yeah, which which it always does. Which it One always day. does. Um, I mean, we we spoke about this on last week's podcast, but you know, it does seem that there is an increasing recognition that the the firepower of central banks is diminishing, uh, and kind of this is what we're talking about here in terms of the latest cut from the Bank of England and and actually. Actually, the central banks are now looking back at governments and saying, there's something you can do about this fiscally. And hence, you know, Theresa May's very early signs of how she's going to take British, British government policy. Exactly. And I think one of the big questions come out of it is whether um, companies are going to take advantage and borrow more to invest, which is obviously one of the main reasons. And uh, Alex, we spoke about this the other day in terms of resources companies. They've been able to refinance at low rates for a long time. So have house builders, so have a lot of these other kind of cyclical companies. Is another, um, you know, quarter of a percentage point going to lead to greater business lending um, than was the case before? In the commodities world, I think not necessarily. I mean, I think it's it's, it's probably a bigger factor for for property, but I mean, when you look at sort of oil or, or, or the big miners, I don't think sort of a quarter of a percent 
interest rate move is is the thing which will which will really sort of stamp an investment case. I, I would I'd argue. I think price prices of commodities are are, are, the, are the bigger factor. Mm. Yeah. Notably, the, the sterling um, denominated bond market has uh, has been pretty popular of late, as, as Ian was just alluding to there. Um, there's stories out this week, and we covered it in seven days, that um, with yields at lows, uh, such lows, um, BMW, for example, has launched a £600 million uh, sterling denominated bond on a yield of just 0.98%. And you know, HSBC, BNP Paribas, there, there are business is looking at, at, at sterling denominated bonds to improve their debt profiles at the moment yeah, yeah. um so yeah there, it is having an effect there as well yeah no it's, it's amazing and also slightly terrifying mm. um and also slightly terrifying are um the, the sort of figures we're getting sort of almost daily now that suggest that uh, post-referendum uh, the uk economy is slowing quite drastically yeah but there's, there's contrasting figures as well because uh, you know on the same page in seven days here we have yes we've got the n-i-e-s-r um saying that the GDP growth halved in July compared to the month before. But shoppers were out in force on the streets in July. British retail consortium figures suggested the consumer um, had a bit of a post-Brexit party. Um, and was, I know uh, was, I did. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, uh, Harriet, we spoke, I spoke about this with Harriet during the week, and she pointed out, well, yeah, July is a notorious month for price promotions in the shops. The weather, Wait, the the weather, the weather was good. So she ex- almost expected this despite Brexit. So again, we've, we've said this um, several times since the referendum vote. One month's figures, you can't really call a trend on the back of it. Yes, GDP looks to be slowing. Indeed. Well, I ended up in uh, Westfield, Stratford uh, last week with my family because that's the, the kind of thing teenage girls like to do. And pretty pretty bloody busy. <laughs> Always busy, that place. Absolutely rammed. Mm. Living by there, I don't think there's much of a correlation between the amount of people there and the amount that's spent there, though. That's it's a bit of a notorious... true. It's a social spot for the youngsters of uh, Stratford in East that's, London. That's quite possibly true. The Lego shop was busy. <laughs> yeah. I'll tell you why. If you want to measure inflation... Well, have a look at the Lego price. Construction centre. It's just, it, it, it's obscene, <laughs> Lego prices. Uh, honestly, it's, I've never seen anything like it. £300 for like a, a Lego Ewok village, because mm-hmm. that's the kind of thing I look at. Yep. Uh, £300, it's a toy. Well, <laughs> well what's, it's hard to track the inflation on Lego Ewok villages, though, isn't it? Because, I mean, has, okay, that, well, has, that, been a, has that been a consumer staple for years, John? I'm, I'm sure, well, I, certainly I grew up with Lego. I'm sure you could track Lego brick prices. Mm. Uh, maybe we should, you know, because The Economist has got its Big Mac index. Mm. And the Lego index. There you go. There you go. That's, that's good. That's, yeah, done. We're going to do it. Guess, yeah, yeah. IC branded Lego index. Like it. We could have IC Lego. <laughs> <laughs> So anyway, it was extremely busy. Uh, we also were at the um, uh, Royal Academy Summer Exhibition, which we go to every year because that's the kind of family we are. And, uh, <laughs> and, you've, also, and you've also been at the first West Ham game in the new stadium, oh, babe, geez, speaking I of know, Stratford. There's, there's no consumer recession going on in the human household. <laughs> <laughs> All over the place, man about town. <laughs> but what I was going to say was the Royal Academy Summer Exhibition, you know, you get, I don't know if you've been, but you can buy a lot of the works on show and you have a little red dot on there once it's been sold. And I tell you what, there wasn't a lot left. Mm. People snapping up uh, kind of mediocre modern. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but there you go. The John Human Consumer Sentiment Survey. Yes, yes. The Royal Exhibition <laughs> and the Lego Show. <laughs> 
anyway, okay, right. So what else have we got? Quindell, Graham. Oh, Quindell. Is this an art? It's going to be the last time we ever mentioned Quindell. It could well be, considering it's called Watchstone now anyway. But we, you know, we vowed many, many times in the past to stop talking about Quindell, but it was a very popular stock. It was indeed. And probably not so popular within the corridors of Senkos now because uh, this week the FCA fined the broker £535,000, which is quite a meaty fine, really. For a small broker, For I would say, say that's substantial. Yeah, and you know, this is the FCA bearing its teeth a little bit. Anyway, it, it was down to the, the promotion of um, Quindell throughout that whole period where Quindell stormed the A market and got to the very brink of, of the main market. And basically, the FCA has has clamped down on Senkos here and issued it with a fine saying that basically it shouldn't have pushed the business so hard. It shouldn't have represented it and taken it to the stage where it Senkos was representing it as being able to move to the main market. That That's the issue that's been had here because basically it wasn't in a state, in a fit state to move to the main market. Yeah, and I, th- I think this is quite interesting. AIM is often criticised for its uh, regulatory structure. The regulatory oversight is left essentially to the nomads mm. like Senkos. Yep. And so it's good news, I would say, mm. uh, for the reputation of AIM that one of those nomads has been taken to task yep. for, for shortcomings. So, you know, I don't, I don't think AIM is as bad as many people make it out to be, as some people make it out to be. Um, and I, But I think, you know, where there are things like the Quindell fiasco something does need to happen there does need to be some kind of redress and I, th- yeah. I think this is I think this is good I think the FSA has done a good job here obviously after the event mm. indeed yeah. some may say I, the, I, uh, I, the horse is bolted yeah I suspect it's not it's not the last we will actually hear from uh, about Quindell because they are still subject to a serious forward office True. Uh, investigation that the that Senkos aren't subject to we, we should point out but uh, I imagine the autopsy of this is is still yet to come but actually, I mean, this is interesting. Uh, so looking across the page, uh, in fact, in the next column, uh, you know, the serious fraud office is not something that, uh, it, it, you know, takes aim to task alone because on the, in the very next column you have Airbus, which is yep. subject to a seri- serious fraud office investigation. Airbus is a very large pan-European aircraft manufacturing company. It's not just small companies that do things that they shouldn't. No, absolutely, and this this is a you know the the, the sort of aerospace and defence industry has been dogged by these issues for years, especially when dealing in with emerging markets and the issues that they, that they a lot of companies have had have been with the intermediaries they've had to use to access emerging markets, and actually in this case, um, I believe Airbus brought up its concerns to the SFO itself. Mm. Um, which is interesting and may may gain it a bit of uh, a bit of leeway at the end of the day, possibly. Yeah, but yeah, yeah the SFO is uh, is busy. Yeah, yeah, but, but but you know, I think the point I'm trying to make is that you know, I think it's very unfair to tarnish aim with this this brush as uh, as a cesspool. Mm. When actually, you know, business as a whole often has to be kept in check, yeah. uh, even the very largest companies. RBS, RBS, who had a very bad week. They sure did, yeah. Let's because jump ahead. Let's talk about that now. Yeah, well, with problems that we all know about, but um, just won't go away. And PPI, still is it? Yeah, PPI um, and also kind of litigation charges. And I suppose it gets to the point where do you say that 
um, consumer fines for kind of misconduct um, on the consumer side of things are a running cost of um, doing kind of issuing consumer finance and dealing with consumers. Is it you know now we've moved from PPI now we've moved on to package bank accounts. PPI is still knocking around. The deadline for PPI has been extended. Um, and do you say on the other side that one of the uh, one of the uh, um, problems with investment banking, which is recurring? Is, is misconduct there? I mean, it might be far too cynical a point to make, but can we still keep regarding these costs as one-offs? Do you know what? We're on the subject of misconduct. Um, this week we had results from uh, Serco and G4S, both of whom got themselves in a bit of trouble. A year ago? Two years ago? It's a while back now. Yeah. Uh, it, basically, uh, the, in Serco's case, the prisoner uh, tagging scandal. Those sh- I looked at those, those share prices and the results, and they are looking good. Both companies... Yeah, the the recovery story definitely kicked in. We've talked about that in the past, buying on bad news. And Kirsty Green, who on a freelance basis was covering a lot of these results over the um, results period. Kirsty Green, who's been here three times before. Three times she before. She can't stay away. A veteran she? of the IC. Um, was making the point that these companies operate in areas that does leave them open to public opprobrium, that... that that the that just the very nature of what they do, dealing with prisoners, dealing with um, detention centres, means that they are open to it. That does not excuse any of the scandals that we've seen, such as with G4S or the Medway Centre. But there is kind of a question around when these things happen and the share prices were so suppressed. As you say, if you had bought in at that point, you would now be looking reasonably handsome, and they've de- to have done reasonably handsomely. I guess part of the worry was that it would impinge upon their ability to, to win new business. That doesn't appear to have been the case, uh, as it happens. Well, I think these are areas where we continue to need, there is still the strong need for those kind of services. So, um, short of a, another massive entrant coming in and really shaking up or taking massive market share, there's still going to be a lot of these contracts around. New management at both as well. Yeah, and and I think on both of them at points we have made the kind of recovery arguments. We have, we have indeed. It's been a long haul there, though. I mean, Serco and and G4S, their original problems were were back as as far as 2012. Really? Because G4S... God, time flies, isn't it? Remember, G4S is um, one of their big scandals was the Olympic staffing, uh, security staffing Uh, issue in 2012. So it has been a long haul. You could have bought in on bad news many times over the past four or five years. When you've been th- waiting a long time. When, no, when you, exactly right. When you think that the biggest scandal of the London 2012 Olympics was that G4S couldn't hire quite enough people to staff the security. <laughs> and some empty seats. <laughs> and, uh, and a very few empty seats. I we mean, did it, all right. it does make. It does make us look pretty good in that respect. Rio Rio has been green green pond water in the diving pool. (laughs) (laughs) Someone did make the point, have we done well in the diving because it's more like English swimming pool? (laughs) Turned green and it's raining. It's, it's, oh God, it it does make me laugh. I'm finding it hard to tune in to that, I have to say. We've got a, it's our chart of the week, the Olympics, isn't it? The price of a gold medal. It is. We got stiffed here. Absolutely stiff. This is a gold price story, really, isn't it? This is the pure weight of a of a medal in terms of the current gold price. So, uh, yes, unsurprisingly, we paid the most. Mm. So we're still in a gold bull market then in 2012. We were, so weren't we? Arguably, you are. We are now again in in one, though. Uh, though, still a way off the highs that that um, that followed the financial crisis. Yeah, but it's, I mean, it, but the more the more we we realise that you know interest rates uh, are kind of lower for longer. Um, and the, the only prospect of any interest rate rises is in the US, and I really do think they're going to keep kicking that can down the road. Personally, um, especially with a very 
fractious election coming up uh, later this year, which seems to get worse by the day. Um, if they think Brexit is insane, uh, I'd suggest they take a look at the mirror. However, it, I mean, it's just the gold price looks like it has support now. I agree. I think that's, that's going to be the case for the, the remainder of this year. Uh, you know, obviously, gold prices is, is, is too volatile to call what the Tokyo medals situation is going to be like in, in four years' time. But um, I think uh, looking at the gold miners reporting now at half year, I think uh, a, a, a sort of a floor of around twelve fifty, thirteen hundred dollars is 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 what some of the analysts are are pricing in. I don't think that's unreasonable. So our, our feature was looking very well timed then. And in our case, was it wasn't it wasn't like a massive bull case for buying gold. It was more like yeah, this is the feature that which ran the, the one week, we ran week, about before the referendum. The week, yeah, you know, very yeah. very prescient feature. But but our point was again, gold is an insurance policy for a portfolio, an, uncorre- an uncorrelated asset. And, yeah, uh, and we stick by that. Be it two percent, be it five percent of a portfolio, we we think there's there's value in it. Yeah, not your whole portfolio. No, <laughs> <laughs> I know some people that really seriously thought about cashing in their pension and sticking it in silver. Um, I won't name any names. But there you go. Uh, okay, fascinating stuff. A bit of M&A activity in the uh, news section this week. Uh, in the gambling sector, which, yes. is, which, is a, which is well known for lots of corporate action, but uh, this is a big one. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's been rife with, with, with M&A, some of it consummated, some of it not in the past um, couple of years. Uh, but this is an interesting... One that which was highlighted a couple of weeks ago, um, when when William Hill said that it had uh, sort of received an approach, but the details were fleshed out this week by the two companies who want to uh, join forces to take over William Hill, which is Eight Eight Eight, which is mainly online and digital uh, gambling, and Rank Group. Bingo, bingo, exactly, and Grosvenor Casinos. Now they want to come together, form a bidco, and use cash and shares in the theoretical bidco to buy William Hill. William Hill's management and shareholders by the looks things didn't think much of the offer. Substantially undervalues the company apparently at a, a theoretical 364p a share. And William what's, what's Hill the price today? Uh, it's about 330. Okay, yeah, so, that's, that's I mean, a bit mean, isn't it really? It is, but the thing is the shares didn't really even react when the this figure of 364p was put out there. The shares didn't move which suggests that people didn't really uh, give it a lot of credence. But what it does suggest is that William Hill is is in play. Yeah. And that there are bidders. Well, it's an interesting time, William Hill, because they don't have a permanent chief executive at the moment. So you would suggest that they, you know, they may, may, may weaken them a little bit. And they've had a tough time trading-wise over the past 12 months. But there are signs that that's improved recently. They've bought a digital platform uh, or a digital business recently, so they've sort of addressed that side of their business a little bit, and they've expanded. I mean, the results are in the in the magazine as well for William Hill. They've expanded internationally. They're doing well in Australia. So they've addressed a few of the issues people had. But, yeah, this does appear to put them in play. Interestingly enough, it's only just over a year ago that William Hill tried to buy 888. Yeah, and that's really pertinent. And obviously it's historically interesting, but also it's pertinent because... William Hill and 888 together kind of make sense. Good combination. William Hill, 888 and Rank. Not quite a full house, you know. No. But, yeah, so to speak. But it's not exactly what you'd 
weren't right if you're a William Hill shareholder. Is where how do those businesses all fit together? Obviously, okay, they're all in you know the gambling sector broadly, but in terms of William Hill and how it's internationalising and how it wants to kind of build up the digital side to what it does. Eight 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 making that obviously it wanted to be the choir and not the target. Mm. Um, but I'm not surprised that William Hill shareholders are not um, so um, enthusiastic about it. And one of the things they stressed was how complex the deal was. So then we saw from eight 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 and Rank a big description of what the how the deal would actually work yeah and uh, yeah and, and it is rather convoluted that they're having to take on a, a significant amount of debt to fund the deal which they reckon they can quickly pay off with the extra money um uh, generated by the larger business but the uh william hill board did not did not buy it and yeah. also i didn't buy it there was a word in there john sorry i have to bring this up corporate language they talked about dis synergies that's the worst corporate jargon i've ever heard yeah and that that, that, that riled me a little bit um, i've never i've never heard that word before. dis synergies yeah. ridiculous synergies net of dis synergies they talked about <laughs> oh god that's even worse <laughs> exactly um so yeah anyway that's an aside that's my personal uh, well i i, little I gripe I, about this i did a little interview with uh with Gulkana this week uh oh yes talking about you know giving some pr's advice on how to deal with us and uh okay so should we should we put let's fling that one out there don't use words like dis synergies yeah. in your press releases surely all synergies are net of dis synergies i don't really well you would have thought so wouldn't you yeah so anyway <laughs> But yeah, so there, there is some. There's been a little bit of to and fro in between both sides in the last 24 hours, um, and who knows? There's 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 suspicion out there that if they come back with a bit more cash in the deal, then it might persuade William Hill's shareholders at least to have a word with the board. Um, but they've got till the 21st of August to actually formalise a deal. Okay, okay, I, I'm just going to take, uh, take up Ian's point there about how rank fits into this. I can see that. That's, uh, I can see how that would work. You've got your kind of sports betting uh, and your kind of you know, online gaming through 888 and, and actually rank brings something else. It's a physical presence in a market, uh, bingo, which is aimed at a very different audience and, and uh, casinos, which is also a very, a very different audience, uh, a physical presence. And casinos are big and also they're big globally. So, I mean, that, you know, that's... But are, are, they just, are there cross-selling, are there synergies there, John? I don't think there always has to be synergies. <laughs> no, yeah, and you can get too obsessed with that. And I, I would agree that it would add um, for them an element of diversification, yeah, allow them to like ride it. out problems in certain markets. But in terms of where you know the gamblers that are doing the bookies that are doing well and transitioning to online the most obvious thing would be to yeah take on a good online infrastructure or company and develop in that direction it doesn't feel like the future to be um tied in a kind of indebted group mm. with a with a casino and a and a bingo mm. uh, call me old school well yeah call uh, me old school you're I, old I, school I, 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 thanks Jean. uh I, no i you know i just i think there is physical assets when you go through this digital kind of uh, this mindset shifts, you know, I think physical assets often are undervalued, underplayed, and I think I think it's quite good. People, you need people come through the doors. Well, but I suppose you look in kind of five to ten years' time when it's much, much more digitally focused. Are they going? To be, would they be happy to have that entire estate of properties that they then have to kind of get rid of? But it's like what I was saying earlier. I mean, you know, experiences are important in in you know uh, certainly the retail and consumer industries, and you know, going to the bingos, it's not about the gambling so much either. Yeah. It's about it's actually a kind of entertainment it's a night out some people it's their only night out of the well, week exactly I, I just think it's quite interesting i think it gives them another string to their mm. boat if that's the, the if this deal was to go ahead i, I actually kind of like i kind of like the thinking behind that the structure of it though john it's not 
yeah, well, that's yeah, really, it's, it's that's, some, something for the corporate well, that's bank, why the bankers to work out. That's why the investment bankers have paid the big bucks. Yep. Actually, Labrick's had some results this week as well, and they, they look all right. It seems that uh, sports results are going their way. Uh, yeah, and another bookie that's doing well in Australia, which Bradley Gerrard has written in both results as kind of a key growth market uh, for the sector. And Labrick's also doing well on its digital side, as we were discussing, very important. Mm. Uh, and a nice little quote to start the news analysis there from... Bradley, and started his news analysis with a nice little uh, quote uh, that gambling is a sure way of getting nothing from something. My, my old dad used to say the worst thing about gambling is that you might win. And then you will bet again. Yeah, and that's my little quote from Ian Smith Sr. there. I think Ian Smith Sr. is a very wise man. <laughs> very wise man. It's not a business that I uh, frequent, I have to say, despite having waxed lyrical about the benefits <laughs> of bingo <laughs> to, to the proposed William Hill Consortium. It's, it's all right for everyone else. I don't like gambling. No. I really don't like gambling. Apart from the office sweepstake. <laughs> uh, I, my next one, Abel, guys, an Olympic sweepstake. And she said, oh, it's all right. It's going to be all right. We won't, you know, we're going we're gonna to divvy it up so that you get like a, a handful of, of, of countries that don't win many medals. So it's a bit fairer. And I got Finland. And they won one bronze medal at London 2012. <laughs> <laughs> if that person is the hero of the country, though, so that's pretty cool. If it was the Winter Olympics, you'd probably be doing all right. I think they've muddled up their Olympics, haven't they? Mm. There you go, never mind. Have you not seen the Kazakhstani weightlifted victory dance? I haven't. It's brilliant. I haven't. Well, it, I, well, I wish I had up. Kazakhstan. I haven't. I've got Finland. Yeah, you've got to go for the flair countries. I think they'd be quite good at shooting. Never mind. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> uh, golf. They might win the golf. Right. Okay. Morrison Zicardo, two businesses that we love to hate. Uh, some renegotiation of the terms of their deal, which is which is kind of interesting. Yeah, it's the, sh- it's the shift, of, shift of power. Amazon entering the market. Um, Many people think that that has kind of pushed um, uh, Ocado into thinking, oh, we've got to sort our relationship with Morrison, especially because Morrison's is also tying up with Amazon. So the balance of power has shifted definitely towards Morrison's in this renegotiation of the contract. As you would have hoped. As would, you because would. the terms of the original deal were absolutely shocking and possibly, possibly uh, accelerated the departure of the former chief executive. It was an appalling deal. Yeah, I'm happy to say that. No, I think everyone is in agreement on that. I wonder whether, you know, in the fullness of time, people will say the deal taught them a lot about the distribution um, of grocery rather via online. You know, it might not have been a great deal on the terms, but maybe it taught them a lot about what works in that in that particular distribution. That might be very, being very generous. I think that would be exceeding generous. <laughs> but anyway, so the big worry is for Ricardo in terms of who it's going to tie up with next, what its prospects. We've talked a lot about the kind of bearishness. It's a well shorted stock for a reason. Um, all fear Amazon, really. Yeah, I, do you know what? I mean, the, I'm going to tell another stupid story to illustrate a stupid point. So. I happened to uh, go to, I think it was Pound Stretcher, right? Because that's the kind of place I shop. And I found... That and the Royal Academy. And the Royal Academy. Bist, I, they, they was, I saw a list this week, actually, of brands for Brexiteers and brands for, for Remainers. And uh, I couldn't work out which one I was. Bisto is a brand for Brexiteers, apparently. I do, and, and, and I did buy some... Bisto chip shop curry sauce because <laughs> I love curry sauce right it cost me a pound in pound stretcher <laughs> Nicole Elliott the trader was really excited wants me to go and buy her some <laughs> anyway so what are the brands for Remainers of the BBC uh, I thought we were going through food stuff. So. No, it was but, a really uh, weird selection of brands. I, I, I'm not going to go into okay, it now. anyway you know ITV was if you're a Brexiteer you like ITV 
apparently. Uh, anyway, so anyway, I went on to Amazon. I went to the web. I said, no, Nico. She said, are they any good? I said, yeah, they're great. Uh, they really like chip shop curry sauce. And I went onto the web to, to find a, a review and I found them on Amazon's food site. And what I bought for a pound, they were selling for six quid. Six pound for the same chip tub. shop curry sauce granules, granules from Bisto. Yeah, wow. they, can't really, they can't really claim it's fresher. <laughs> <laughs> Convenience, though. Convenience. Yeah, it didn't exactly convince me to go hurrying to Amazon's door for my groceries. Wow. Well, Put it that way. We've got a sector focus this week, as you know, on um, on drones. Oh, excellent! They can drop uh, when off you can, my chip yeah. shop curry sauce by <laughs> when air. You, when your curry sauce can fly through your kitchen window and drop it actually into your food as you're making it. That might be worth six pounds. I'd pay six pounds for that. Well, just to see the drone coming yeah. to your front door with the curry sauce hanging off the bottom of it. Uh, anyway, should we talk cover feature? Let's. And then perhaps round up the few uh, few pixel results section after that. So, Alex. Yes. Family fortunes. Uh, family businesses do really well. They do. And uh, the proof of that is in the performance of the family album or the family portfolio you selected in, in 2010. So did you did, yeah, so you did a feature on this um, six years ago uh, and it's, it's outperformed the FTSE All Share um, on a total return basis by about 91%, which is good going. And it, yeah, it's, it certainly underlined some of, the, some of the points that a lot of investors uh, sort of believe in uh, reasons for their their belief in family companies, and that in some ways they tie in. I guess if there was a philosophy to some of the you know the the, the shares we try and recommend, which is sort of buy and hold mm. quality uh, for for you know for, for for several years, the family companies in some ways tick the boxes which marry well with with that investment strategy. Yeah, I, guess, I mean, I guess it's kind of topical. So I wrote this, uh, God, 2010. Mm. Jesus Christ, such a long time ago. Um, and I wrote this because at the time there was lots of talk around corporate stewardship and how chief exec, the job of a chief executive was not basically to, to get paid a fortune for a few years and then disappear, having delivered virtually no shareholder value increase whatsoever, um, but to steward the business through, you know, through the period of their tenure for the benefit of everybody. And I guess it's still relevant because there's lots of talk at the moment about executive pay. Theresa May is making it a, a, a kind of flagship policy, potentially uh, around um, kind of the management of companies and the, the representation of employees on boards uh, and a more equitable society more generally, yeah. which all sounds very lovely. Um, I guess you've had things like the Volkswagen scandal, which you mentioned in the feature, which is a family business, which kind of calls into question the whole mm, family indeed. model. Um, but yeah, I, th- I think it's really, really very topical still, uh, the whole idea of company stewardship and executive pay. Yeah. And can family businesses get it right? Yeah, and in simple terms, you know, if, you're, if your name is on the door and you're, the, you know, you're, you're part of the family tradition, you're not looking at, this, you know, you're not looking at EPS uh, accretion over a three-year three year period. The thinking, and this is at least according to the the Institute for Family Business, which is sort of champion for family businesses in the UK, is that that stewardship, when it comes to investing in the business, the time horizons can be a lot longer for families because they're not necessarily thinking about bonuses; they're thinking about the long term intergeneration value. Yeah, indeed. Yeah. And, and the other aspect of, of family businesses, which I quite like, is that they are often very community minded as well. So, you know, these are businesses that are well established in a particular geography. And a lot of what they do is for the benefit of their lo- locality. Almost like the sort of Victorian sort of uh, paternalist, you know, like the Cadbury. Yeah, uh, indeed. Yeah. And I mean, some of the companies we've we've highlighted in a, in a 2016 portfolio, I think that's, that's, that's kind of one of their, 
their selling points, at least to their, you know, at least to their employees. But as you know, equally that should that should be a positive reinforcing feedback loop, really, for companies which, uh, you know, look after their employees. Presumably, then you want to work for the company, and you want you know the company to do well. Well, exactly, and you, you, I mean one of the miners you talk about in this feature, uh, I think it is Hoxchild. Yeah, yeah. You so know, mining mining companies generally, you know, the kind of headlines we see about them generally about you know it, where the workforce are talks about is where there's either fatalities at mines or 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 huge industrial action, particularly in South Africa of late. Exactly. Um, yeah. But Hoxchild kind of flies in the face of that, yeah, that, well, that I mean, view let's not let's not get carried away with you know mining is, is still quite a brute you know it's a brutal it's a brutal business it's very very dangerous but i mean one, i think one of the things that hoxchild prides themselves on is is that you know they're they're a peruvian largely peruvian based gold miner is working with some of the very remote communities that they you know where they, their gold mines are and you know leaving leaving some sort of community legacy there so it's not just about pure extraction then moving on uh, not that you know i'm not I'm not accusing the the large non-family branded uh, miners of those sort of practices but i mean hoxchild is aware it has a it has a brand to protect eduardo hoxchild is the chairman still a 51 percent shareholder in the company you know they're, they're looking to cultivate a reputation they have a reputation to protect, which is their, ne- you know, it's their name. It's yeah, not just yeah, an anonymous yeah. brand. So, yeah, I mean, that's it, one example. Really. Indeed, I, I think it's very interesting. As I mean, you know, like you say, I mean, I don't think we want to accuse the, the, the sort of larger integrated miners of being, you know, flippant about mm. their, the, the communities that they work in and their, and their workers. But they, you know, the management of those businesses are so far away from them. Yeah. Um, and there'd be layers of bureaucracy between the guys at the top making decisions and and the guys on the ground that you know it's easy to forget. And I think that's that's the difference here. I think it's fascinating. I mean, talking of the name above the door, Henry Boots. Mm. This is this is this is my one of the, my favourite things I've read in the magazine for ages. Uh, and I won't read it out, but uh, it, it it's just wonderfully written. Well, the, lit- <laughs> the, the, litany, the litany of boots. The litany of yeah. boots. Boots everywhere. Yeah. Um, so Henry Henry Boots construction and planning firm. It's 130 years old. You know, and there's you know, there, there's a boot at the head of the board. So that's the chairman, and then yes. and then you know I was looking I was I looking through, I was looking through the profile of you know some of the senior directors and you know there's there's boots everywhere so um, it's it's an encour- <laughs> it's an encouraging sign for a, a company I think specifically their you know their their aim is to navigate complex the complex planning system and uh, you know that's 130 year old brand you know they're working with councils they're working with sort of local government a lot uh, that sort of reputation counts for something. I think, and I think this is what the, the company would argue as well. So. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. There's a really exciting company in here that I like. It's a company that I will be shopping with, I'm sure, at some right. point, because I make a bit of music in my spare time. Focus right. Fantastic little story and, and a really interesting backstory as well. Yeah, so it was um, kind of resurrected in 1989 by uh, Phil Dodderich, which I think may lay claim to be the coolest chairman on AIM. He's, uh, he was uh, Led Zeppelin's former sound man, but he's, you know, he's proved himself to be a very canny uh, manager and steward of of this business. So Focusrite, uh, they've done very very well at cornering the market for studio musicians. So you know, um, so you know, there may be people recording music like like yourself mm. in their you know in their you know at home in their bedroom. And yourself, uh, Alex, and myself. Yeah, I do actually have a Focusrite product, which I you know I've got to say is really good quality. You know, for for, for <laughs> other good ones are yeah, available. Have I, have an, I have an editor, <laughs> but that's uh, not quite as sophisticated. No, but um, 
you know, for for so basically hobbyist musicians looking for uh, to replicate a kind of studio studio feel. So they've been very good at you know penetrating that market. Very good overseas uh, sales. Good good cash generation. Um, it's one of our buy tips. I think our our um, yeah. resident Amex, but Megan Boxall has um, has singled out these properties. Um, and you know, if, if they can replicate this success in in you know slightly more lucrative parts of the audio equipment market. Then uh, you know this this could be a company which grows even 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 more. Yeah, there's lots of. I mean, I know this market well. I uh, I'm constantly uh, poring over uh, things I would like to buy. Um, there are lots of companies out there, small companies that could potentially be picked up. Actually, talking of family businesses um, in Germany, which is kind of a home for for a lot of musicians these days, certainly electronic musicians. You've got some really interesting companies. Uh, if you've heard of Native Instruments um, and Ableton. Mm. Which I mean, they're amazing, amazing companies. These are software and software and hardware. And, hardware. and I yeah. think you know, I think this goes back to the digital point. I think you know, a lot of music production is going going digital, but you still need hardware to go with it. You know, yeah. you cannot escape the physical. You yeah, I escape I, the physical world. And I mean, the the seek to Germany is interesting in the context of family companies as well, because um, I, th- I guess one of the the you know the bedrock of of when we talk about you know German the German economy is something to envy. The bedrock of it is is the Mittelstand, which is is largely comprised of fam- you know very mm. uh, long running family companies which spe- you know specialize in one niche area and seek to dominate in that area and and, and sort of um, yeah and and and, uh, and and you know very they sort of possess qualities of very stable long term investment so. Um, so Mittelstand companies, I think, uh, are sort of described by someone as uh, uh, a good example of enlightened family capitalism. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and broadly, you know, that's that's what we're looking to sort of replicate in this portfolio. And I, I think we can. I think I think it's surprising the number of, of businesses that fall into that that uh, definition on the uh, FTSE. I, I think it's really really quite fascinating. Is, is there at all a risk when you have a family business that's just listed for the first time, where the, they might be taking a payday, they might be looking to extract themselves from the business, and also kind of um, get down some of the leverage in the business, and that as a kind of shareholder buying in at that point, you're taking a bit of a risk? Yeah, I mean, it's good, yeah, good point. And there's uh, one of the companies picked out is uh, uh, a company called Acrol, which uh, Simon Thompson's. Uh, quite keen on toilet roll, isn't it? Toilet roll, yeah, and toilet roll's not going away. So, um, so that is, you know, uh, <laughs> you heard it here yeah. first. <laughs> but I mean, if, if you were bug. exactly, if you were gonna, but if you were gonna be, you know, uh, concerned about this business in, in any regard, it's that the family which owned the which owned Acrol and which founded it um, in 1993, the Husseins. Why, if the company is doing well, would they seek to divest? The answer. They, they've given is that they and their private equity co-owners had undergone a period of rapid expansion. They wanted to deleverage the balance sheet by listing, which is, you know, I think in that example, uh, 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 you know, a, 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 a fair. Yeah, I mean, a, that is a, a normally fair, the fair reason, reason given, though. Well, that, well, that's a frequent reason given, isn't it? And you have to kind of judge for yourself yeah, whether there's it, more is, than that. Indeed, I guess with toilet roll, it's harder to to argue that it's top of the cycle valuation because you know, pre- <laughs> presumably this is a, a running theme. Thank you, Alex. Um, well, uh, let's I, well let's look back in six years' time and uh, and see how this portfolio got on. But I, I mean, you know, there's there's lots of companies on the market that would that would uh, meet the criteria. Fifteen percent, isn't it? Family ownership. Well, that's what we've gone for. I think there's a slight compromise on uh, on on 
the sort of European definitions of what Which a family, family business is. Twenty-five percent. Yeah, um, but it's a much more common thing in Europe. So there are more companies that would meet that criteria. Having said that, the, the 2010 portfolio, I pretty, pretty much all of them did meet that that criteria. That's true. I yeah. was quite selective. So there were companies that I could have put in that I didn't. So Sports Direct is one of them, right. for example. You know, I think you still have to be selective. Uh, family businesses, they, they do sometimes argue families, funnily enough. Um, one, one good example is Thorntons, which I wrote about at the time. They had a massive falling out, the old Thorntons family. And now it doesn't exist anymore as a, as a separate entity. Sure. There you go. All right, listen, we're, uh, we're running out of time. Let's p- uh, lots of results this week. Uh, Ian, was there anything that really uh, caught your attention on the results front? Yeah, uh, I suppose a couple. The RSA is looking quite lean and Reco- clean. Recovery story? Recovery story after its restructuring sold off a lot of its operations. Um, there was a lot of disappointment um, following the failed takeover from Zurich, but um, the, the work that Stephen Hess has been doing now over the longer term is definitely coming through, so that's one. Focus, I think, is the story there. Focus, yeah, exactly right. And then there was a couple of the interesting ones from the insurance companies in here. Um Aviva, not so worried about low rates. Uh, Mark Wilson, the chief executive there. Brave. Um, brave, yeah, he's he, he's reasonably confident. Um, everyone's looking at the asset management businesses, how they're performing. Jupiter seems to be doing quite well. They mentioned director dealings. They seem to have shrugged off any, any Brexit worries. Um, yeah, I, I think there was kind of a bit of divergence between Jupiter and Henderson. Yeah. Which are ostensibly similar asset managers as to kind of who had seen the worst of the retail flows or outflows, as the case may be. Um, they were always going to struggle in a kind of reduced, um, well, kind of worse sentiment towards equities. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, elsewhere, Standard Life had a really good set of results, actually. Um uh, in terms of their, their their institutional business, so we talked about those retail flows being uh, you know being hit by um, poor sentiment. Well, institutional businesses, pension funds, insurance, other insurance companies, etc., and that's longer term stable mandates, uh, albeit sometimes lower margin stuff. Um, but they've seen good inflows there. They've done a good job of kind of turning themselves more into an asset gatherer than an insurance company. Um, and we, and after solvency two, we're seeing pretty good solvency levels. So I'd say that industry is maybe. Com- through that more strongly than some people might have thought. Okay, okay, Alex, did you pick up anything this week that you uh, you were particularly struck by? Yeah, I mean, there's one com- one company, uh, Ferexpo, which uh, iron ore mining, iron ore mining. Uh, they've got this very very low cost, um, high quality mine in, U- in in Ukraine. Um, I've kept them on a sell, although I think the company's done an absolutely stellar job of managing what appear to be torrent, you know, appalling conditions. So they're their bank collapsed last year, leaving several hundred million dollars of theirs basically locked up in, in administration. And not only that, they're in a very volatile part of the world, but they've managed to bring down costs uh, uh, sort of appreciably. And, you know, they're working a sort of very, very uh, uh, choppy set of waters uh, vis-a-vis the steel, steel prices and iron ore prices. Um but you know, a very profitable half year. Um, I've kept them on the sell basically because their their auditor, perhaps over concerned, uh, has has raised questions about their ability to remain as a going concern. So I felt it's it's, it's difficult to uh, recommend shares. You know, if they are unable to pay their debts, so they're going to have to do some complicated restructuring. It's a, it's a difficult position to try and judge yeah. a company from. I mean, if the auditor's raised a concern, you can't ignore it. I mean, so then it's, it comes down to invest investors' own personal yeah. preference for risk. I guess. And the, but the market at the moment is saying buy, buy, buy. Um, it's you know the, the shares are, are rallying. They are enorm- really enormously, hard. but um, it's one of those situations. I think it's it probably 
pays overall to be prudent, even if uh, Forexpo managed to escape this situation. Yeah, I mean, that chart looks fascinating, but I'm sure if you look today over the longer term, it's still kind of kind of not too far away from where from, from lows basically yeah. so you know if there is a recovery that's going to last for long term there will be opportunities to buy in and still make a lot of money and potentially just, and just to round it off uh, Stock Spirits got new management after their activist attack that's worth having a look at and also Money Supermarket a bit of a shock that the chief executive is planning to step down and the price comparison website sector if we expect, we expect a lot of equity activity during that over the next year so not a great time to lose your CEO um, although the business is still doing well in those areas um, where it was doing well previously Obviously, finance and energy comparison. Yeah, interesting. Stock spirits, love that. Selling booze to the Polish. How can you go wrong? And now they have more Polish people doing it, which is what the activists wanted. There you go. Good. All right. Thank you very much. Yeah, lots, lots of ground covered there. And we haven't even touched the size of the magazine, really. It's uh, been a, an extremely busy week. Lots more in the uh, results section. Uh, we've got a couple of other features. We have John Barron's uh, Investment Trust Portfolio updates. We've got Philips uh, 50 Objects, which is kind of drawing drawing to a conclusion now. Lots in the comments section and uh, a few more news stories there worth having a look at. Uh, and obviously lots in the personal finance and funds section, which we will no doubt be hearing about on their podcast tomorrow. Anyway, thank you very much. Thank you, Ian. Thank you, Alex. Thank you, Graham. Thank you all for listening. Pick up the magazine uh, in all good news agents, £4.70, family fortunes, and obviously you can subscribe. Thank you very much. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.